The scripture reading tonight is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. As he taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and, for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came in and put two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. Turn that light off. <laughs> it's like totally shining right in my eyes. <laughs> you know, God is sort of an unlikely thing to mix with institution. On the one hand, you have a living, inconceivably loving, uncontainable being. And on the other hand, you have containers, a building, a budget, a cup with grape juice in it, board meetings, forms, finances. On the one hand, you have an unsystematizable, unpredictable, wild, passionate, paradoxical creator. On the other hand, you have organization structure, systems, rituals. From the very beginning, it's been sort of a tense mix. God and the religious institution, the law, the temple, the church. I think it's probably a mix that no one should ever be too comfortable with. Sort of like zoos. Like really? We put beautiful, wild animals in cages so that we can see them and put our kids in strollers and roll them past lions in cages. Large-brained mammals as we are, we do some kind of weird things. Race car driving, football, I think, fast food, zoos. I mean, it's true, some people might never, ever encounter wild animals if it wasn't for zoos, but still, you have to admit there's something not quite right about them. There is always something not quite right about the religious institution, something that smacks of taming and caging an unfathomable being. I'm not saying that the church is bad, I'm just saying it should never be too comfortable with itself. In the Gospel of Mark, the tension between God and the institution is the thing that drives the whole story. (laughs) 
Okay, I think this is all right. This is fine. <laughs> the religious institution in Mark isn't portrayed as just some misguided but benign bunch of folks just trying to do the Lord's work. It's portrayed as an obstruction to the living God. Before the story read tonight, Jesus had just been in the temple, and he went there to upset things, turned over the merch tables, threw the coffee pots around, messed everything up, not kindly. And then he goes off, not gently, on the scribes. Beware of them, he says. They sit up front in worship services. <laughs> they seek honor for themselves. They like to be in the spotlight. They pray long prayers. They like to go about in long robes. Okay, we don't do that. They like salutations in the marketplace. Not to really question Jesus here, but so they like salutations in the marketplace? Are there people who don't like salutations in the marketplace? But the scribes actually, unlike Russell and I, didn't have such a great job. They translated and copied manuscripts. They did some interpretation of scripture, but the Pharisees were really the authoritative interpreters. So the scribes mostly just had to make sure that the traditions were being kept properly. They didn't get to have fun with exegesis. They weren't priests. They didn't get to be a part of the mystery, the proclamation. They got to be part of assuring the temple's financial stability, making sure that the rules were being followed. A little bit boring. Their entire function was to maintain the institution. It's no wonder, really, that they're the people in the book of Mark that get along least well with Jesus. I mean, he got to run around making lively and radical comments. His whole way of doing everything seemed to constantly upset the structure, and the people liked him. The people were stirred by Jesus. No one is stirred by a scribe, stirred by a scribe. They're boring. Mark sets up the tension immediately in his first chapter. He says, the people were astonished at Jesus' teaching, for he had authority unlike the scribes, who, we can assume, astonish absolutely no one. Jesus says, beware the scribes. Part of me wants to say, give them a break. They have a really crappy job. So they like to go about in long robes and have the places of honor at feasts. Considering the nature of their work, I think maybe they need a little attention. But then, and this part's pretty bad, Jesus says they devour widows' houses. It sounds like they must have really big mouths. Monstrous mouths with fangs. Devour is such a strong word. It's not a word I would necessarily expect to find connected with the scribal type, the guy that sits at his desk most of the day copying things. 
ravenous beasts devour. The scribes are just the guys that see to the upkeep of the institution. But maybe that's it. Maintaining the institution seems like such a mild thing, but just doing that is feeding a devouring beast. It was probably just a matter of course in early Palestine that when, the, when a temple-going man died, the scribes would step in to help administer his estate. It was also probably just a matter of course for the person responsible for seeing to the stability of the temple that they would procure a percentage of the dead man's estate for the temple. It also might be almost just a matter of course to push it a little bit. You die, you leave money, it's taxed for the temple. I mean, you could look at this scripture and dismiss the scribes as vile, insatiable, sleazy, money-grubbing characters. But I think that would be reading it totally wrong. You know, we all get embroiled in institutions. You just get used to how it works. You just follow routines. You just do what everyone else does. You go to Target and you buy something cheap or plastic. You don't necessarily think about how your action contributes to human suffering and destruction. The slave labor, the fossil fuel industry, the toxins produced from manufacturing. You pay your taxes. Well, you give money to finance drone attacks against innocent civilians. You drive a car? The scribe's behavior is probably just pretty routine. We all feed the beast like a hundred times a day. The Bible's pretty good at making the lines between the good guy and the bad guy hard to draw. Jesus is always smudging those lines all the time between the good and the bad and the holy and the unholy, between right and wrong. The lines never really hold with him. But the people who read the scripture, seems like they're always trying to draw the lines back, keep it straight, simple, free of ambiguity. And this text is one great example. After Jesus goes off on the scribe, he watches a poor widow put her last coin in the temple treasury. And the interpretation over the years has mostly been sort of like, okay, the point of these stories is to say, on the one side, you have the money-grubbing bad scribe, and then on the other side, you have the good, sweet, sacrificial widow. And this is where it gets kind of crazy. The story of the good, sweet, sacrificial widow is used to inspire people to give their money to support the institution. Like this text, always comes up in the lectionary in the fall when people are doing their pledge drives. If you read the commentaries, they almost always use these sorts of words about the widow. She's humble, pious, loyal, devout, committed, an example of unquestioning surrender and self-denial. One commentator calls her unobtrusive. But the text doesn't actually say anything like that. She may be very obtrusive, for all we know. I think every 
single Sunday school illustration I ever saw, she was very old, bent over, a shawl over her head, maybe a cane. She walked slowly. But a lot of men died young in Palestine. She might have been very young and very obtrusive. She may have been full of rage at her circumstances. She may have had an anarchy symbol tattooed on her forehead. She may have sauntered up to that collection box and flung her pennies in defiance. Her act might not be an act of self-sacrificial surrender. It might be an act that's sort of spitting in the face of the powers that be. The story isn't very specific about the widow's demeanor, but it's very specific about how very, 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 very little money she puts into the treasury. It's pretty accurate to say in today's economy even that it would be worth a penny. I think it's safe to say, literally, that a penny won't buy anything. The widow's penny may have been all that she had, but it was worthless. Whether she kept it or whether she tossed it into the treasury didn't make any difference at all to her financial situation. We project pious self-sacrifice, self-denial, generosity, and unquestioning surrender onto the widow. But maybe it doesn't take all those qualities to toss a penny in a pot. It's not going to feed her. It won't buy a fraction of a gallon of gas. Maybe she didn't humbly place her offering in the receptacle. Maybe she strutted up and flung it in, fully aware, aware of how worthless it was. Maybe she wasn't sacrificially feeding her last penny to the beast. Maybe her act was a symbol of how worthless she found the institution. Sort of like if you have a really bad waiter, you don't leave him nothing. You leave two pennies prominently displayed. Maybe the widow isn't great-grandma humbly offering her precious scent. Maybe she's an anarchist sauntering to the front, staring the institution mongers in the eye, flings her pennies in, raises her arm, and says, Die, patriarchy. Almost every place that tithing is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's very specifically stated that the people of Israel give so that the widows and the orphans could be cared for. The, santo, the temple, temp, temple was just supposed to be the place, the center for sort of store the, storing the tithes. And then it would distribute those to people in need. Whatever we imagine about the scribe or the, or the widow, the crux of the interpretation of the passage is here. That this woman existed, that there could even be a poor widow in Israel, was in itself a scathing indictment of an institution gone wrong. The story shows that the temple has ceased to care for the widow. It devoured her to her last cent. Her activity isn't a pious moral example for us to follow. It's an indication of the insatiable veracity of the institution. It can eat you up. It can suck up everything you have. Remember the rich young ruler? I think that the widow and he are meant to be compared because he's kind of her opposite. He's rich and he's male 
and he's a ruler. He has power. And we do learn from the text for sure that he was pious and devout. He kept all the commandments all his life, but Jesus says he lacks one thing, sell all that he has and give to the poor. He needs to do this to get free, to have real life. The widow doesn't lack this one thing. She gives, gives everything she has. But what she has is blatantly worthless. Whether she kept her little penny or tossed it in the treasury made no difference. Her giving doesn't mean that she's great. It doesn't mean that she's accomplished some great thing, but it does say something about her freedom. She is not an example to us of how we should serve the institution. She's an example of freedom from the illusion that the institution is what holds her. And maybe unlike the rich young ruler, somehow she was free to believe that she lived by the grace of God. Hardly anybody really believes that we live by the grace of God. We don't live as if that's true, that we are freed by the grace of God. Hardly anybody even knows what that means. I wish we could. I think we all do live by the grace of God. Jesus says it's impossible for the rich to enter the kingdom. Impossible to give all that we have, all that we cling to, to give up believing in the world as we know it. To give up believing that what our lives depend on is power and money. But it's not impossible for her. It's amazing. That's what's amazing about the widow. She's gone down in history as being subservient, unobtrusive, loyal. Actually, as someone who gives all she has to the institution. But those are the very qualities that keep oppressive structures in place. The institution is well served when people have those qualities. But where are the scribes? I'm not really sure what this means for us. I'm not sure there's a lesson other than beware the scribes. Beware what gets you clean to structures, to routines. Don't trust the system. Don't feed the best beast, though you will feed the beast. Be aware of what you're doing. Jesus' conflict with the temple could get us all feeling pretty hopeless about institutions. But as long as two or three people gather in the name of Jesus, there will be an institution. The church is an institution. Religious tradition is an institution. It can devour, and it can oppress, and it often has and does. But it can also witness to the gracious lover outside of itself that called it into being in the first place. It can Witness to the unfathomable lover, the wildly passionate, unsystematizable other. Jesus constantly confronts the traditions in the book of Mark. He subverts, he transgresses, he reorders, but he doesn't do away with it. He very conspicuously doesn't join the zealots, and they were the group who wanted to overthrow the institution. What he's fighting isn't the community that gathers to worship God. 
He's fighting the religious institution's tendency to believe too much in itself. He's fighting the institution that has forgotten the tension, that tense mix between God and religion. Jesus is angry that the temple quit pointing outside of itself, quit looking for a living God breathing and moving and blowing where it will, uncaged. Maybe a lot of what we do here isn't that far from flinging pennies in a pot. Maybe a lot of our acts are meaningless gestures. But God is alive. And that gives a great deal of hope, the only hope, to the work of the church.